we had a church dinner. It was a church event. And more people were coming through the door than what they anticipated. And I can remember Mina Lee and Libby, the look on their face, they were like in fear that we weren't going to have enough food. And they said, let's put some more potatoes in the, in the pot and all this kind of stuff. And they were really stressed out. But, you know, as it turned out, there was plenty of food. It was almost like last week. It was uh, uh, before 11, and not all the food trucks were here. And Randy, I think, was really sweating it. Uh, are we going to have enough food? You know, uh, is a nice time going to be lost? Are people going to leave hungry? Is there going to be an embarrassment here on the team? But it turned out fine. So you could just imagine what's going on here in the context in John chapter 6. When all this multitude of people, they come here around Jesus and they are clamoring for more. Some 5,000 tired and hungry people and what are we going to do? Now, we know that there are 35 separate miracles listed in the Gospels and not any gospel, no gospel contains all 35. But there is one of the miracles that's listed in all four gospels, and it's this one right here in uh, John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. We see it also in Matthew 14, Luke chapter 9, also Mark 6. And something must have happened here that so like struck people. It played a particular importance upon the minds of these gospel writers as thousands of people were gathered and they all got something to eat. No doubt this miracle made a great impression upon them. You know, when I hold a hockey puck in my hands, I guarantee you it's just a hockey puck. But if I hand the, pu the puck over to Team Canada, it's something more than just a hockey puck. If I were to give you a paintbrush, I'm sure you could paint a wall or two, maybe a room or two by sundown. But if you had the paintbrush over to Rembrandt, you're going to get a masterpiece. And in the same way, it really depends here on who's holding these tools that make all the difference in the world. In the right hands, it gets amazing results. And you just put a small loaf of bread into the hands of Christ, and you're going to have a royal feast on your hands. He makes a meal for thousands. Imagine what it would be like if you were to take your life and put it in the hands of Christ. Let's be honest. The little bit you have, your portfolio, your, your, your little bit of talent, your little wallet, your situation, whatever it is, if you would hand it into the hands of Christ, it can be so transformative in the right hands. Every Sunday I preach this prayer in a variety of forms. Lord, take these empty words. May it mean something to somebody out there. And, you know, imagine what would happen if you were to take your life and give it unto the Lord. The disciples here were tired, and Jesus were, were tired, and so he suggested, well, let's go to the other side and let's rest a while. And the story says that they were going on the other side, and, of course, all the coming and going, if you've ever been in a crowd these days, you know it can really wear down a person. There's nothing that wears a person down like that constant movement of the crowd, and especially you notice that today, do we not? People are more testy and more tense. There's more trouble and turmoil. And when you haven't had a chance to rest, it can really eat on your soul. Uh, you know, I've noticed that our most notorious industrial accidents in recent years, such as Exxon Valdez, the Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, the fatal navigational area of, of Korean Airlines, 007, they all occurred, they tell us, in the middle of the night. 
when the USS Vincennes was shot down, uh, 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 shot down an Iranian A-300 Airbus, they said it was fatigued operators in the CIC, the Combat, uh, Combat Info Center on the carrier that had misinterpreted the radar data. In the Challenger disaster, they say key NASA, uh, NASA officials hadn't slept in something like 20 hours, only getting a couple hours of sleep just leading up to the launch. Uh, if there's one thing you and I need to do, it's get our rest. I've said this before and I say it again. Some of the most spiritual things you can do is to take a nap and, and rest and get away. And this is what Jesus was suggesting to the disciples. Let's go and get our rest. Uh, like one said in explaining her long life to me, she said, I have learned to set loose. Have you learned to set loose in your life? Have you learned to rest? Have you learned to relax? You need to know that if you never learn to let go, there will come a time when you cannot hang on. And we need to pray the prayer that Augustine, the great apostolic father, prayed. He said, let my soul take refuge from the crowding turmoil of worldly thoughts beneath the shadow of thy wings. Now, Jesus showed us how to take up the cross and follow him, but he also showed us how to go and pray, how to rest, how to abide. And these go hand in hand. Jesus said, come unto me to a desert place and rest a while. And here they go on the other side, and there's this crowd that follows him. And they're sitting there trying to rest, and here comes the multitude. And I want to make some observation here about the multitude, this crowd of people that came, and they noted some things here about Jesus. The first thing I want to say to you is this crowd, they saw the attraction of Christ. It indicates here that people were being healed. I mean, invalids and uh, the handicapped and, and the sick and afflicted, and people were being healed. And they followed the Lord some 12 miles or so around the sea. And notice here, there was no food trucks. There was no Scotty Potties. There was no central air conditioning units. There, there was no fancy PA system. And uh, there was no fireworks and, you know, all that kind of thing. These people were getting real. They saw Jesus healing people. He was sharing spiritual truth with them and feeding their soul. There was something about him that attracted and drew the people. Now, Mark has a beautiful line in his gospel in Mark chapter 1 and verse 45, and it says, They came to Jesus from everywhere. They came to Jesus from every quarter. These people were leaving their huts, their villages. They were leaving their boats and their fishing nets. They were coming out of the fields and out of the hills and the valleys because Jesus was healing people. Jesus was sharing some spiritual truth with them. And even though his enemies at the time, the Jewish leaders, despised him and eventually rejected him, they could not stop the common people from converging on him wherever they had the opportunity. Now, the gospel story reveals what created this attraction. And although the story here indicates that 5,000 men were fed at this meeting, there were likely, as many have said, thousands of others. There would have been wives there, there would have been children there, there would have been different people there, and some perhaps say as many as eight to 10,000 could have been there around that shoreline uh, meeting Jesus at the other side. Can you just imagine people leaving their work and their shovels and all of their nets and the things they had at hand to follow this guy around the sea? Look at the situation here as well. 
Uh, you look at the options of what is happening here in the story. How are they going to handle this crowd? And the first initial response by the disciples were, well, send the people away, Jesus. We're, there's no Myers here. There's no Aldi's. There, there's no place we can go to get food catered in here in this situation. You might as well send the people away. But Jesus would have had none of that. He had compassion upon the multitude. And in John 6, 4 here, and also Mark 6, 37, he's, he replied to them, just give them something to eat. And you notice here also, he, they say, well, let's take up an offering to buy food. Uh, and they started looking. We don't have enough money in our pockets, in our purses, to take up enough uh, money to buy food. And the third thing here, as you note, is Jesus said, well, why don't you do something about it? And it was Andrew here who's piped up and he said, well, here, the only thing I can find is here's a small boy and he's got a small sack lunch here, five small barley loaves and two fish. But how far, he says, is this going to go? Looking out at all these people. And like many of us, if you understand what he's saying here, he had a display of faith and doubt. Like we've got some food here, but I don't think it's gonna be enough to feed all this group. The people were attracted to Christ, the amazing things he was doing. Now, as you know, there are many things in life that you have no control over. You don't have any control over who your parents are going to be or what country you're going to be born in. You don't have any control over what kind of talents and abilities are going to be gifted to you. There's a lot of things like that. If you stop and think about it, you don't have control over. But you do have control over some things, and the most important of which is the belief that you're going to have in God. Are you going to trust God or not? Jesus turned this lunch into a banquet, into a feast royale. And it's amazing what Jesus can do when you place your trust in him. You know, as I look through history and I see the people, I am so blessed to look at the church history and see people that gave their lives to God and how God used them in some incredible ways. I look at the guy known as Dwight Moody. Here's a guy who I think is one of the best examples of a guy who had a little and he gave it to Jesus and he made a lot out of it. He was so poorly educated, they say, when he would read the Bible and he would come to a word that he didn't know how to pronounce, he would just stop and make a couple comments to deflect everybody and then he would start on the other side of the word. He wouldn't even speak it. And they say that his grammar was atrocious and his personal style was irksome. People didn't really like, like his style. And yet, God used him in so amazing ways. Thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Schools were erected in his name. Great revivals ensued on the European continent and here in the States as people gave their life to God, all because he took his little bit and put it into the hands of Jesus. The crowds here were following Jesus to see the next miracle. They didn't know what was going to happen next. Who was going to be healed? What was going to be happening? You know, a lot of times I just stand amazed at what God is going to do. I'm reminded the tale of the old German schoolmaster who, when he entered class, he would bow to his pupils ceremoniously. And they asked him one time, well, why do you bow to your pupils? And he said, well, I never know which one of the pupils here is really going to do something great. One of them might turn out to be, you know, uh, somebody really great. And you know what it turned out? 
he had a pupil in his class, and it was none other than Martin Luther, who was the great reformer. I want to say, I want to bow to you people because I don't know how many of you are going to be used. I'm sure if you would just give your life to God, God is going to use you in an amazing way. And I stand in awe of your presence. God wants to use you. He can take a little in your life and turn it into a lot, turn it into an abundance, turn it into something great. We see that here. Andrew did not know what he was doing when he brought the boy to Jesus that day, but he was providing for a miracle. And we never know what possibilities are going to happen in your life. And God is going to use you, your word, your life to influence and bring someone to the cross. We see here this incredible attraction, but then notice the compassion that you feel in this text. Jesus lifted his eyes. He saw this great company of people, all this crowd coming to him. And we read also over in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, we find it in Matthew's Gospel, that when Jesus saw this multitude, he was moved with great compassion. Now, the word compassion here, as I understand it, it means to enter into another's deep anguish. It means to feel great sympathy. It means to have pity. It means that it conveys the idea here of getting into the skin of another person, walking in that person's shoes. This is the way Jesus felt about individuals and about this crowd. He saw the throngs of people like no one else, and they sensed and felt his compassion. You know, there's a type of person who looks out of the crowd, and they see this crowd as population. Well, they think only of numerical strength. They think, well, of numbers, and the, this could yield a lot of money. Another type of person looks at a crowd, and they count them as hands. They say, here's our labor force, and here's what these people can do for me. And there's another type of person yet that looks at the crowd, and they look at it in terms of status, in terms of popularity. Well, these people have followed me. I must be a really popular person. That's not at all what we find here going on in this text. As Jesus was moved by compassion, he saw people as personal individuals. He saw people as great and standing in great need. You know, one day, here's another one. One day, Charles Spurgeon, he was the great prince of preachers, and he was a guy that suffered with depression. He called it a black dog that followed him around. You ever battled depression? Here's a guy that had it throughout his ministry, and every time he preached, uh, you know, he felt like he did a lousy job. And one day he was scheduled to preach in the Crystal Palace there, and he came early. He wanted to get familiar with his surroundings. Nobody was there yet. He went up to the podium, and he decided to recite John 3.16, and he did. And there was somebody he didn't know that was behind the platform, and they gave their life to God right on the spot. A true story. And when Spurgeon came back later in the day, some 30,000 people had showed up. And when he got up to preach, he had to stop and compose himself. He was so overwhelmed that that many people actually came out to hear the gospel. But when Jesus came out and he saw the multitude here like that, he was moved with compassion. Jeremiah in his works says, my eyes affected my heart. And a person who really sees human need fills human need. And the multitudes who followed him recognized that Jesus not only saw them, but he loved them. And his heart went out to them with great tenderness and compassion. I saw this advertisement on the side of a plumber's van, and it said, There's no place too deep, too dark, too dirty that we can't handle. 
And you know what? What a wonderful explanation of the gospel. There's, you haven't gone too far, too dirty, too deep, done too wrong that God can't correct your life if you just give your life to God. And then thirdly, let me say to you, this crowd here, not only there was this attraction, this compassion, but they, they shared the provision of Christ. How exactly Jesus performs this miracle here is certainly a mystery. In Mark's account, in the Greek, it gives you the impression that Jesus broke the bread kind of once, but just kept on giving the bread as people had need. And they all were fed until they had enough. You know, Middle Eastern custom requires you to burp when you're satisfied. Can you imagine five, 10,000 people all burping? They were very satisfied. And there was plenty of food left over because they gathered up all the leftovers. They had it. But it really wasn't enough. They were hungry again. And this was the message of Jesus. You're not just going to live on bread alone just on these one-time events, but you need me in your life every day, all the time. And Jesus was showing them more than just this physical bread, but he was showing them himself in this miraculous feeding. Now, in his bestseller, the book, Into Thin Air, John Krakow, he relates the hazards that plague some of the climbers as they ascended up to Mount Everest. So many people throughout the years have really wanted to go up to Mount Everest. And Andy Harris, in his book he talks about, was the one expeditionary leader that stayed at the peak a little bit too long, and on his descent, he became in dire need of oxygen. And he radioed base camp, and he told them about his predicament, and he happened to mention that he came across a large cache of oxygen canisters uh, left by other climbers, but he said they all appear to be empty. Well, the other climbers heard what was going on on the radio, and they said, no, they're not empty. We didn't even need them. We came down in time and quickly enough. There's plenty of oxygen in the canisters, and they pled with him, but they failed to convince him of it. He was starved for oxygen, and he continued to argue that the canisters were empty. And the problem was a lack of what he needed had so disoriented his mind that even though he was surrounded by something that could save his life, he continued to complain that they was, were empty. You might say that the very thing he held in his hand was absent in his brain. And the lack of oxygen had ravaged his capacity to recognize what was right in front of him. What oxygen is to the body, I want to say to you, the bread of life is to the soul. And I know many today are suffocating. Many today are starving. And they don't even know it. They think they've got it all figured out, but they haven't received Jesus Christ into their life. Jesus is offering you a new way. Jesus is giving you a bona fide offer of real life, of real peace, of tremendous hope if you come to him. If you just take your little bit and put it into the hands of Christ, it can become a whole lot. Shall we pray together? Oh Lord Jesus, we need you today. How we call upon you to come among us. May your spirit, Lord, intersect our hearts and lives and draw us unto you. Lord, we know your compassion and grace overwhelms. And we just pray for one another today that we might put our hand 
in your hand that we might take our measly amount, our gifts and graces, our wallets and purses. We, we lay our little bit into your hands and allow you to turn a little into a lot. For we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.